the children choose to follow Jesus, it's if the father is actually following Jesus. That's the biggest correlation that one can find in, in a Christian family in our nation. So I think the breakdown of what the relationship of a father is has led to a lot of those things happening in our nation in general, which we'll get into a little bit later on this morning. Uh, but I think Father's Day is a really important thing as we reflect on God being our father especially. I, of course, have three children, and every Father's Day I feel I have more experience under my belt of what it means to be a father, and so therefore, I get, I get more uncool every single year, okay? Every Father's Day, I become more and more uncool and less in touch with our current culture. Um, my, uh, all of a sudden, I have now this desire to wear really white Nike Monarch sneakers with my socks pulled up way too high um, and have an unseemly farmer's tan. Uh, so, you know, those kind of things. I have those, this desire to be that uncool father, uh, as well as keeping my lawn in pristine condition. And, of course, the, uh, what you may have seen online and what we, uh, what we showed at the beginning, uh, just the, the desire to say really bad dad jokes. That's kind of, that's kind of an ongoing thing. And every time I see a graveyard, I feel now that I'm a father, I have to just, as, as we pass by, I have to say people are dying to get in there. I don't know what it is. And it's met by groans of other people. I don't know what it is, but as I become a father, you have to say those things, which is another reason why I hate stairs. Anyone know where this is going? They're always up to something. So there you go. Even though I have more and more experience of what being a father is, now this is my fifth Father's Day, actually being a father. Fifth, Claire's five, so that makes sense. Uh, fifth Father's Day of, of, of what it means to be a father. I still feel like that person who just started a new job, the high schooler just started a new job, who just wears a smile on the face, and the manager says, how are you doing? And you say, yeah, I'm good. But on the inside, you're thinking, I have, still have no idea what I'm doing. You know, I look like I'm, doing, I'm, I'm busy running around stocking shelves and doing the father thing, but I still you, you feel all the time, I still have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was privileged to go uh, see Ryan and Sarah uh, just, as they, just as they came home, and, uh, and they're showing me their, their baby and everything, and I, I love that experience. I remember what that was like with my children, because it wasn't that long ago, bringing our, child home, our children home, and it's amazing, and I was telling Ryan and Sarah, we were kind of reflecting on this, it's amazing that you go to school for so many years to prepare for a career, uh, even with your spouse, you, you date a spouse, you get to know each other, there's this preparation process, but all of a sudden, when you bring a child home, there's like, I had no preparation for fatherhood, none, I never, I didn't babysit anyone, I took no courses you know, I, I refused to go to some of the midwife courses beforehand to get to know what, what this was going to be like. All of a sudden, there's a child in your home. You have no preparation at all, and you think, I've got to all of a sudden now care for this child and make sure that it keeps surviving somehow, even though I have no idea how to do that. And not only just surviving, but also what we're going to be talking about today, to teach the faith that has been given to, be, to me by my parents, now to transfer onto my children. And there's often, I'm sure many fathers could agree with me, even though we have more experience being a father every single year, you still do the smile and say, I, I still have no idea what I'm doing of how to do this fathering thing. So I think this morning is going to be really important, not just for dads, but also for any parent, but also as a church 
together, what is our, we're going to get a 10,000 foot view of what is our responsibility? What are we supposed to be doing with the children in our lives, especially those who, who, who call Restoration Church their home? Next week, we are going to be dedicating a child, okay? We're going to be, de- yeah, I love, yeah. So we're going to be dedicating a child, and, and, and that dedication is not so that we can do the Simba thing and, and Rafiki hold the baby up singing Circle of Life, but let's be honest, that would be, that would be pretty awesome to do that if everyone joined in and started singing Circle of Life, um, but we're not going to do that, uh, but the reason we do that isn't really even just to introduce the child, it's so that we all agree as a church we are going to help parent this child. We understand that a mother and father can't do this on their own. We as a church are going to commit to help raising this child in the faith that was given to us by whoever parent or pseudo-parent we had in our life. And so this is for all of us here at Restoration Church. As long as we have children in our life, and and what do we actually do? What are we trying to uh, 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 pass on to those children? So with that being said, we are going to be in the book of First kings this morning okay so if you have a bible go to book of first kings we have been in either first or second samuel for the last three months we're going to be in first kings which guess what is right after second samuel so if, if you if you need a table of contents that's fine or look off the person beside you google it whatever you need to do to get to first kings chapter two this is our final week tracking with the person known as david some of you are going to be saying Thank goodness we're done with the life of David. Uh, It's been a number of months, uh, but this is our last week looking at the person of David. I think it's been fascinating. It's been a privilege for me to be, to track through this, this person's life and how God used him despite his ruined relationships that were in his life and how God had repaired the ultimately the purpose that he had for David, and we're going to look a little bit at at that this week as well, but this is the final week where David is now passing on his legacy, passing on his responsibility to his son. We've learned a couple other sons, which anyone yell them out, what are some other sons that we've learned from David? Absalom, another main one we learned about was Amnon. What's that? There's a couple other ones in there too, but those are the main ones we've looked at, and uh, and those didn't end well. And so now we have David's other son named Solomon, who is now going to take the throne from David. It's been firmly established by David, and he's going to give him all that responsibility. So First Kings, chapter two, verse one. This is David's advice to his son as he passes on the faith and his responsibility. So if you can stand with me, stand with me as I read First Kings chapter two. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, here it is, just the first four verses, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. 
that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all of their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. You may be seated. You can keep reading later on. David kind of, kind of takes a dark turn, kind of has a little bit of a hit list afterwards, and uh, um, for good reason, some of them, but uh, you can read it later on. This is kind of the 10,000-foot view, and then he gets more specific into other people's lives for the rest of the chapter, or at least until, until verse 9. Feel free to read that this afternoon. And also, just feel free to read the Samuels and keep going in First and Second Kings. You're going to see the line of David continue all the way through and, uh, and how it connects even to the person of Jesus Christ later on. We're not going to go there ourselves, but uh, next week we are starting a really important series called Who's Your One? You're going to be getting some more information about that this week. It's all about personal evangelism. And, I mean, we can do a lot of things as a church, you know, put on, you know, put on uh, uh, concerts or evangelistic things. Uh, you know, a lot of things have been done, but I think the key to unlocking the power of evangelism in our nation is us. It's just working through you. That's how God has been purposing evangelism to happen, that it works through his people uh, just as they have relationships in life. So we're going to be looking on at personal evangelism for the next several weeks starting next week. So I'm really excited about that. Make sure to come, bring your friends, and we'd love to have you here as we look at who's your one, who's that person that God has been leading you to. But today as we look at what is the 10,000 foot view, what are we actually supposed to be doing? David says this to Solomon, of all, of, of all things, this is what my goal for you is. This is why I've parented. This is what I'm hoping is going to happen in your life. Look what it says at the end of verse 3. Here's what David says. That, here's, we're going to look at the, the, what you are to do, but this is the reason what, with why you are to do those things. In the last part of verse 3, it says this, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. That's really why this, this, you're to do these things, which we're going to look at in a second. I've done these things for you. I'm encouraging you to do those things. The reason is that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Now, we kind of understand what it means to prosper. It also could mean that you will find success, that you will succeed in life. And who doesn't want that for their child? You know, who doesn't want that for their child? Who doesn't want that for any of the children? I see a, a child right here. Who doesn't want that? Uh, for the children in our church, that they would succeed in wherever God leads them in life. Now, for Solomon, that meant David is saying, I want you to succeed as I'm handing over the nation of Israel to you, that you would find success in that. But who doesn't, as a, as a father or a mother or even as a parent, have dreams of their, their child walking across the stage of Harvard University, right? Brad's like, eh. <laughs> Harvard University with, uh, now my Latin is, max, ma, is missed up, as, as sum cum laude, is that what it's called? Yeah. With honors, that's what it means, to graduate with honors. Say, this is, I have been successful. Not even summa cum laude, but magna cum laude is with great honors, right? I think, I think that's correct. With greatest of honors and distinction. Who doesn't dream of that for their children? That the, 
we have been successful in raising our children that they would have a, a big house, a safe house, maybe across the street from mom and dad so that we'll never have to let them go. Um, who, uh, who doesn't dream of their, fa- their, their, their daughter walking down the aisle? Actually, I should say this before I say that because I don't dream of my <laughs> girls walking down the aisle. I'm not at the marriage thing yet. I don't even want to think about that. In fact, yesterday, Claire said to me, uh, Daddy, I'm going to get married. I said, really? You're going to get married? To whom? And she didn't have a person in mind. I said, do you really want to go away from mommy? I'm, you know, I'm trying to brainwash my children. <laughs> do you really want to go away from mommy and daddy? And then her, her face changed. She's like, you know, you know what? I, I'm, I'm just going to stay with you. I'm not going to get married. I said, great. <laughs> great. Right? Yeah, no boyfriends, nothing. You're going to stay with mommy and daddy your entire life, okay? Who doesn't have dreams of all of those things happening for their children, that they would have success, that they would never leave? But it does cause us to pause and consider a couple things. Firstly is this. I think it's really important that David says to Solomon that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. It's not that you would do everything that I tell you and go wherever you, I tell you to go. It's that you prosper in wherever, whatever you do and where, what, wherever, wherever you turn. See, often as parents, we, we lord it over, and even maybe this is as a child, you experience this with your parents, that we can lord it over our children and tell them, in order to be successful, you have to do these things. You have to go to the school I want you to go, you have to marry the person I want you to marry, uh, and you have to, you know, you got to go to the church I want, you to, I want you to go with, and if you don't do these things, I feel like I failed in my parenting. You kind of understand what I'm saying? I would say as parents this, just a little, little plug from here. Focus on the how over the what. Focus on how they live their life, not on what they actually do in their life. Because what if your child comes to you one day and says, you know what, Daddy, I've been praying about it. I want to be a missionary to Zimbabwe. Oh, shoot. That is not what I was dreaming of for a successful life. And yet, if we're going to hold these things, even our children, to God, we have to say, I'm going to focus on the how, that you would live a godly life even over doing exactly what, where I tell you to go, go, going exactly where I tell you to go go. We want to often lord things over their children like I was doing yesterday with Claire. And the problem is we actually sometimes can cross over that line of, do you know that in the Bible there's not actually that many specific commands, parents, you are to do this with your children. There's some big principles that we'll find like we're finding today, but especially in the New Testament, but there's one big one in Ephesians 5, and it's parents, specifically fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't provoke them to anger. Don't, don't lord things over them. And if they do li- things that you maybe didn't envision for their life, that you, you, you cause this disruption in your relationship with them. They may not have the job that you wanted for them. They may not have the spouse that you wanted for them. They may not have the money you wanted for them. They may not even live in the location that you wanted them, wanted for them. And often those things can be primary over them living a godly life. And unfortunately, I've seen in a lot of parents' examples, and even in my own life, that there's more concern with doing everything that I want you to do rather than just living a simple godly life. Following the Lord in wherever he chooses to take them. 
So you need to, you, we, need to, we need to consider that, that we need to focus on the how over the what. The other thing we need to consider as we look at that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn begs the question, what does it mean to have a successful life? What does that actually mean to have a successful life? And I believe we get a little bit more specific in verse 4. It also says this, So that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. You see, David's vision, David's desire was actually greater than just his life. It was actually even greater than just Solomon's life, he had his eyes in how he parented his child and the influence that he had over his child. He had his eyes on something even bigger than the lifetime of his child. And it's something called the kingdom of God. Go back with me just to, just for a little review because to the most important chapter that we actually have looked at in our, our whole series. And it's 2 Samuel chapter 7 because this is the promise that God had given that David is referring to for Sol, uh, to Solomon here. In 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 12 to 16, this is the promise that David is referring to. In verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. That's partly Solomon. Solomon, but partly more than just that, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom for how long? Forever. Not just the lifetime of their children, but forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. And now, as we know as New Testament believers, we know that specifically refers to whom? Jesus Christ. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure for how long? Forever before me. Your throne shall be established for. Ever. See, David was looking past Solomon's life, and he wanted his children to be as part of something bigger than what they could actually personally achieve, bigger than Harvard University, bigger than graduating magna cum laude. And trust me, in, in family, family uh, reunions, we don't talk about how the child has advanced the kingdom of God. We talk about who finished summa cum laude, okay? Even as Christians. But David's vision for his child was bigger than just what they could personally achieve. It was on the biggest movement to ever play, take place in history, which is called the kingdom of God. And here's the beauty of it. As parents, we pass on the knowledge of the King Jesus, and in that way, the kingdom of God moves forward from generation to generation to generation. Psalm chapter 145 says a similar, says this, Go, Go to the next slide there, Willow. It says this, I will extol you, my God. I believe Sam read this at the beginning. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. And then it says this, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant, and go to the next slide, 
and it's not there. So I'm going to finish it actually in my, in, in my Bible because there's actually a couple other verses I want, I want to read from my favorite psalm in Psalm 145. From your abundant, and it says, it, it, uh, it says this, um, from your uh, abundant goodness and they shall sing aloud of your righteousness. And then it says this in verse 10 to 13, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Then it says this, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds, the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Why? Because your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. See, this is part of the reason why we pass on the knowledge of the King Jesus is because the kingdom of God isn't just defined by one generation. It's, in fact, an everlasting kingdom for all generations that have ever existed, whether they were looking forward to the Messiah or looking backwards at the sacrifice of Jesus. The kingdom of God is for all generations. And here's, here's the beauty. We may look different, but it's the same kingdom. It's the same faith that even David and Solomon experienced thousands of years ago. Parents, your kids won't look like you, but we pass on the knowledge of the King Jesus to the next generation. We think in the last 2,000 years of church age, even when I talk to people in the community who have been to United Churches, Presbyterian Churches, or wherever their background is, a lot of people, especially those who are probably like 40 and up, have, have some kind of church background in this community, and what I've learned. It blows them away that we, our church meets in a high school gym. They just do, they, it just doesn't compute to them. Like, what do you, What? High school, is that, is that real? Is that a, can that be a church if you meet in a gym? Doesn't there have to be stained glass windows? Like, doesn't there have to be the organ on the side that just doesn't compute to them? And we think that our generation looks very different from the generations that have come before us. But here's the deal, guys. Even as a young church plant, a small church plant, we're not doing anything new. This is the same faith that has been passed down from one generation to the next. I think it's important that we reflect on this and remember this, that what we believe has been passed on from Hebrew slaves building the pyramids, the pilgrims in the Bronze Age, the bathhouses of ancient Rome, the blacksmiths and monasteries in the Dark Ages, to early missionaries to India, China, and around the world, slaves in the southern United States, songs written in the Renaissance, Presbyterians in South Korea, Baptists in America to small church plants in Canada, we all look really different, but guys, we're not doing anything different. This is the same faith that has been passed down for the last 2,000 years. If, if you're going to clap, that's the time to clap, okay? <laughs> we're not cool because we've just inve we've invented something that the world has never seen before. This is what the world has seen for the last 2,000 years. Looks very different. But we believe the same thing that's been passed down. This is something that has been passed down to me. I haven't invented this. This has been passed down to me from the generation before, which was passed down from the generation before, which was passed down to the generation before. That's what Psalm 145 is talking about because parents and adults had a bigger vision that this is not just about a, he, a Harvard graduation. This is about the advancement of the kingdom of God. That's what my parenting is all about. Something bigger than just between my child and myself. Parents, that's what you do. That's success. So why pass on? Well, 
David says this to Solomon. Look at verse 2. This is why you pass it on. This might seem really obvious. But in verse 2, David says this to Solomon. I'm about to go the way of all the earth. It's kind of a hard reality when you read things like this. But this is what happens in our world, that everyone will die at some point. I'm about to go the way that every person goes, which is I'm about to leave this earth. I'm not going to be here forever to hold your hand. I'm not going to be here forever for the shoulder to cry on. And that's why Father's Day is really difficult for a lot of you. And there's actually a, there's actually a, a number of people, the Haddons, and there's actually a number of people in our church who experienced the loss of a father recently. And, uh, and that's really difficult. But that's the hard reality that we face, that I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And that's why we pass down the faith that's been given to us, because we're not always going to be here. And it's a hard truth that when I look at my three children, and even though I'm young, I have no idea when, when my time is up, and I have to say, I'm about to go, I'm, I'm going to go the way of everyone who's come before me. I'm not going to be here forever to hold your hand. I have to pass on the faith that was previously given to me. All of us face that reality. And I want to say this, that's not the way that it's supposed to be. But because of the fall, because of sin coming into our world, because we had disobeyed God, that's the reality that we face. But within that, God in his wisdom has given parents the number one job of parenting, which is to pass along the faith that was passed along to you. That's, that's the number one job, parents. Pass along the faith that was passed along to you. And in that, we see the kingdom of God go forward. Which I think, as parents, gives me a lot of hope. Because if that's my number one job, that's what David was concerned about with Solomon. That's my number one job as parents. That gives me a lot of hope because you might be sitting here being like, I can't afford piano lessons for my kids. I can't afford Harvard University for my kids. I can't afford soccer camps for my kids. I can't give my kids everything that they want. How is my child going to succeed in life? Well, passing on the faith to the next generation requires a ton of work, but it doesn't have to require a lot of money. Success is passing along the faith that was passed along to you. And I just want to bring this up because I think our nation is living in this right now. And, and there's the, the cursed third generation principle. And that there's been in our history a lot of strong believers, but the faith hasn't necessarily been passed on to the next generation. I think in Canada, we're starting to see this, where the cursed third generation, you know what I'm talking about, the cursed third generation in Christendom, and that someone got saved, our grandpa- a grandparent got saved, maybe after the war or something like that, got saved, where they're exposed to Christianity, they, 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 they radically changed their life, they pass it on to the next generation, and that life has kind of looked, well, we go to church, but you know, this is more just a family thing, but by the time it gets to the third generation, what happens? There's no concern. Yeah, I could care less. That's the third generation principle that I think we're seeing in Canada right now. These third generations where everyone's grandparent was a Christian, but now couldn't, could care less. But it's this principle of taking seriously, I need to pass along the faith that was given to me. It's not just about me. So how do we do that? Well, look at verse 2. So so David says to Solomon, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. This is how you do it. Here, here, here's the two things, okay? Be strong and show yourself a man. 
The second one is this, and keep charge of the Lord your God. Keep the charge of the Lord your God. Okay? So the first one is this, be strong and show yourself a man. That's his first advice. How do you do that? Be strong and show yourself a man. Sound like a football coach again. Show yourself a man, guys. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Hoorah. You know, like the Marine thing. Well, why would this be, why would this be part of the advice? Why is this the thing that we're influencing our children with? Maturity, but the obvious answer is you're telling someone to be strong and show yourself a man. Why? Because your kids are probably afraid, okay? They're probably afraid. And here's why I was afraid, because when I put myself in the shoes, when I was a, 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 in elementary school, in public school, I was scared out of my mind about what my life was going to be like. I did not want to fail. I wanted to succeed in life, but I thought, I don't even know who I am. I don't know what job I'm going to have. I don't know who I'm going to marry. All of these identity issues, I, I'm scared about. I don't know the answers in life. And we're afraid of that. It's a, scary, it's a scary place to be, and especially those of you who have kind of finished high school and you're in this transition period of your 20s, where it's a really hard place to be, where you're like, well, okay, I'm kind of exiting my parents' domain and now figuring things out for myself, and I have no idea who I even am as a person. And here, David, it's, this is an identity question. Show yourself a man. As we all get filled with images of the movie Gladiator, where everyone's what do they say again? It's my favorite movie. Strength and honor, right? Strength and honor, strength and honor, strength and honor. Show yourself a man. I just want to say this as, before I get into this, because this month is Pride Month. You saw on the flag, you saw on the flag out front, uh, and you've seen everywhere. This is Pride Month, and I just want to address this, and I think this is important to address. Um, at the core conversation of Pride Month is this question. It's an identity question. Who am I? What am I supposed to do in life? Who am I? Who am I attracted to? Who am I supposed to spend my life with? Who am I as a person? That's, that's the core conversation of Pride Month. And we affirm, and I just want to say this, we affirm as Christians because of this fall of man and because we disobeyed God and refused to accept who God made us to be, there is con confusion in identity. All of us to, to a degree, it might not be your sexual identity, or your gender identity, but all of us to a degree are confused about who we are. Whether it's what you do at work, who you're married to, how you even raise your children, we're all confused about who we are because we've disobeyed, we've disregarded who God says we are in the beginning. And so we affirm as Christians, it's a confusing world out there. We can sympathize and empathize with our world that, with that. And I think that comes to the forefront in a month such as Pride Month where we have to empathize with people that, yes, we say because of sin, it is confusing. It's hard to know who you are. Who do you believe? What do you trust? Identity is confusing for everyone. And really what, what the fall is, how you are created by God, but the reality that you currently experience might not be in sync. You might not see those things. David Polison calls it identity misconstruing. But here's, here's where kind of, as a church, where we, we, where we get into this conversation. As Christians, I think we do a disservice and we make things more confusing by promoting this pseudo-Christian idea of like, this is what a man is. 
and it, it, you get this pseudo-Christian message of like, men are like waffles, women are like spaghetti, okay? You know those books? Remember those books? I didn't read them, but, uh, or like, men think like black and white, women see all the colors of the rainbow, right? Or, um, or men are from Mars, women are from Venus, and you think this is what makes a man and this is what makes a woman. The problem is that's not always the case. In fact, David Polison, who's a biblical counselor, head, one of the head guys for biblical counseling, in one of my classes they played us this interview from him, and he said, in my marriage, it's actually reversed all of those things. I'm the one who thinks all the colors of the rainbow, and my wife is the very black and white logical thinker. And so if I wasn't a Christian, for him it would be very confusing if that's the message you're receiving from the Christian life, that this is what makes a man, this is what a man is supposed to be like, well, that would be very confusing. Well, that, I'm not that. And so that's why we as Christians need to, need to be very firm that it's not rooted in a pseudo-Christian idea of, of all those other mental things, but that's in creation, what God says you are. Our identity is rooted not in a, some cultural bias, but in God's creation of you. And even more than that, what God says about you. I think Liam brought this up last week where there's all these identities floating around trying to figure out who am I and ultimately we come to the conclusion that we are a child of God. David Polison says that it's the one identity that you will never lose even to death that you are a child of God. It's that one identity that can never be taken away from you. So when it says show yourself a man we need to be strong, show yourself a man, take courage. We shouldn't fill our minds and promote an idea that a man is someone who doesn't use napkins, who watches football all the time, and eats meat off the bone, right? That's what makes a man. We need to look at Scripture and say, this is what it means to be strong and show yourself a man. So with that being said, Deuteronomy 27, uh, 31, verse 7 and 8 says this. This is really similar to what, this Moses passing on the nation to Joshua, he says to, the, says to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to your fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. Of it. it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will, he will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. In those verses, what is their strength based upon thank you your faith in god the, the the faith that you can see god with you it's not how many push-ups you can do it's not wearing a plaid shirt dads part of the plaid plaid dad club okay it's the faith knowing that God is with you. Next verse, says, next verse says this in Psalm chapter, go to the next slide, Psalm chapter 27, verse 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. What is the strength based upon in these verses? Yeah, faith in God. We are waiting for God. God is going to show up, and so therefore we're going to take courage and be strong. Next verse says this, 2 Timothy verse 2, verse 1, You then, my child, be strengthened by what? The grace that is in Jesus Christ. What is their strength based upon? What Jesus Christ has done for them. Your faith in God. Next one. I believe next one is Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in who? In the Lord 
and in the strength of whose might? Yours? How many push-ups you can do? How much you can bench press? In strength of whose might? God's might. Again, your strength is based on the quality of your faith before God. So when it says be strong and show yourself, man, actually the last one is really important. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, it says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Again, what is that manliness associated with? Stand firm in the faith. It's your faith in God that determines your strength, your masculinity. And maybe the biggest one that we should look at more than just all of these other ones is, is the man David himself. First Samuel chapter 30, you can go there, Willow. First Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, without looking at the screen. David faces this, you can look at the story afterwards, we're not going to go through all of it. But David faces this situation where uh, his own army is, wants to turn against him because they were, you know, their, their wives and kids were just taken. So, you know, understandably, people are pretty upset. And then verse, verse 6 says this, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. So David's at a crossroads here of, oh, my, oh man, I'm going to die. They, you know, my own people are ganging up on me. Where does he turn? Where is his strength based upon? And David strengthened himself in who? The Lord his God. So when David is saying, be strong, show yourself a man, he's saying to Solomon, have faith in God. And here I would put specifically as this, parents, to see what you may not be able to see with your own eyes, that strength is gained by our faith in God. Parents, you've got to teach your kids this. This is what my wife and I, this is what my wife and I say all the time. I don't even know if we say this all the time, but we've said it sometimes anyway. Teach your kids to this. Preach the gospel to themselves. Teach your kids to preach the gospel to themselves. No one else around David is preaching the gospel to him. David has to remind himself of the truths of the gospel. He's preaching the gospel to himself, and he was strengthened in the Lord his God. So when he says to Solomon, be strong and show yourself a man, Solomon, you've got to preach to yourself the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Because fathers and mothers, you're not always going to be there. So the first thing is this. One is, you have to teach the gospel. I mean, you don't know the gospel until, your kids won't know the gospel until you actually teach it to them. And uh, as a church, as, le- as, a, as a pastor, I'd love for you to come to me and say, Aaron, how do I do that? I can give some resources for you. I can help give some pointers. We use some books, uh, uh, a, a lot of books of, of, of how, to, how, to, how, how your child can learn about the gospel, how your child can learn different things about God, um, uh, uh, just even at bedtime. I would say this as a church, I don't, we don't expect you to have it all together. Like, we don't expect you to be like awesome parents just because you're a Christian. I'm still learning how to do this as well. I'm still the one with the smile on my face thinking I still have no idea what I'm really doing here, but we're learning together as we go along and how to raise our children. One thing that we can learn from the Bible is this. Make the gospel a consistent lifestyle in how you teach it to them. Don't leave it to RC Kids on Sunday to teach it for you. Okay? Make it a consistent lifestyle. Like every day, how do I, how do I teach the gospel to my children? Don't leave it to RC Kids Sam Gunther and team right now are doing an awesome job teaching the gospel. Don Winger and team next week will do an awesome job teaching the gospel to your kids. Don't leave it to them, though. 
Make it a consistent lifestyle. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 9 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then it says this, You shall teach them diligently to your children. Then he says this, You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Walk by the way with them when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What that means is everywhere your children look, they should be learning about the gospel, the things that you claim to believe in. Don't make it a Sunday thing. This should be something that is before their eyes all the time. So you got to think, and I would love to be a part of that. Nikki and I would love to be a part of that with you. Is How do we keep the gospel in front of our children every single day? So that's a consistent lifestyle. And I would say this as well. Don't be afraid of the Bible. Don't be afraid of the Bible. I think one of the things, this comes from some experience this past week. But some of our movements in churches, especially as cool church plants, is like, we're not about theology. We're about loving people. I hate that, okay? Because theology is just what you know about God. You have, kids have to learn theology for them to know about God. Don't be scared of the Bible and don't be scared of the word theology. All you're doing with theology is telling your kids what you know about God, which is the point of life. Okay? That's passing on the faith. So never, I, please don't tell your children, you don't need to know all this big theology stuff. Okay? No. But they do need to know about God. So please don't bash, I do not want to be a church that bashes theology. You kind of understand what I'm saying? So if you say that from afar, you're going to get a rotten banana thrown at you. <laughs> so I'm just kidding. You're not going to do that. But I'm just saying, Don't be afraid of the Bible. Don't be afraid of theology. That's what your kids need to know in order to pass the faith on to them. Your kids need to see you with a Bible. Your kids need to see you with a Bible. I think smartphone thing is probably the biggest negative that I'm not against using your smartphone. I'm looking right at Ryan as he's using his smartphone. (laughs) Not against that at all. And if you use a smartphone, you got to read it to them so that they know it's the Bible. But I would say your kids need to see somehow that you're with a Bible. That's what you've learned. This is, this, is, this is what life is, learning theology about God. Okay? That's our huge responsibility as parents. Don't be afraid of the Bible. So be strong and show yourself a man. Okay? Preach the gospel to yourself. Teach your kids how to preach the gospel to themselves. Secondly is this, as I close. Secondly, it says this. This is, how, this is how you pass the faith along. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses. That, and then he says that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. So the first one is teach them how to preach the gospel themselves. Also teach them how to live a radically, not reckless, obedient lifestyle. You notice, the, you notice what it says in here. It's, it's do all those things, observe those things, not just teach them, but walk in them, but according to God's commandments, his rules, his statutes, his testimonies, which everything is found in the word of God, teach them to live a radically, not reckless, but obedient lifestyle. 
It's not just about teaching, but walking according to the commands of God. And really quickly, there's two very misguided ways that we can parent. The first one is this. There can often be a gap between our confession and our conduct. Like, this is what we confess as Christians, but it really doesn't make a difference in our family house. It might make a difference with what we sing at church, with what we claim at church, but then when we go home, it makes no difference in our, in our home to our kids. There's a huge gap between what I say is our confession and our conduct. And you might say, I'm teaching my kids, they go to church, Sam Gunther is filling them up with the gospel, but it doesn't seem to make a marked difference in your life. There's a huge problem that we have in families today. I'm not even going to say, say her name, but in, in this church, there was, this is a really positive example, by the way, with where I'm going. Um, I was talking to one of the sons of, of one of the ladies in our church, and it just brightened my heart, because he's, he's not a believer, but he said to me this, you know what, when my mom came to faith, we all as a family couldn't help but notice a difference. She was a different person. See what I'm talking about? Even if they don't, like, at least they say, you know what, her faith made a difference in her life. We closed the gap between our confession and our conduct. And I think there's a lot of kids who leave the faith because they, they, they hear things at church, but they don't see a marked difference at home. And David himself had that issue, right? This is what I believe. This is the way I act, though. It's a sad David experience. So parents, we close the gap. The second one is this, as I close. second one is this. There's not only a gap between your confession and your conduct, but there's a gap between your conduct and your reward. Okay, there's a gap between your conduct and your reward that you might say, well, we obey. There's no scandals in our family, but we're also not particularly happy about what we follow, right? We're kind of a, you know, kind of pout around. It's not an intriguing lifestyle. And I think there's a whole bunch of Christian families with children who believe that the reward is because of the way that their parents live. It seems kind of, to be honest, un remarkable, unintriguing, and they think the reward in life is found, that must be found outside of the boundaries of God, of, that God has placed for us, because it certainly isn't found inside when I look at my parents. I mean, they seem to hate their life, and I would say this. We, we obviously need boundaries. Part of Pride Month where it goes wrong is that they want to go outside of the boundaries of God, God has established in creation. We need boundaries in life, though. I always give the example that Tim Keller gives. A concert pianist had to have boundaries in their life. There's no way they could become a concert pianist without boundaries, hard, strict boundaries that were set in their life. So parents, be honest about your experiences. Be honest about the joy of following God but also the heartache of disobeying him. Don't hide that. Don't hide the heartache that, that, that you may have experienced in life when you chose to disobey God. Your kids need to hear that. Close the gap. Not only to what, so your kids can say, that's not just obedient, but it's also appealing to me. And in this way, we pass on the faith to our children. I want to close with this because there's, there's no greater example in my life than my own 
Father. I was trying to think, what do I, what do I leave this sermon with? And there's, there's really no greater example that I have of being a father other than God as my father than my own father. Because my own father, he said this to me before, he refused to be a second generation parent parenting the third generation that was gonna leave. Here's the, here's the reality in my family. My grandparents were on fire for God, served their church for years, both sides. My mother and my father, strong believers. All of their siblings, though, and guess what? I'm not sure if there's, other than my family, there's Christians in any of my cousins. It's like my family is the generation Christianity. My mom and dad, though, refused to be that second generation that was like, eh, we're kind of in church, we go to church a little bit, but their kids don't see a marked difference in their life. You know, I could look back at my, the way my, my mom and dad, especially my dad, brought me up, and I could, you know, I could be picky about things, but you know what I could never accuse my parents of? I could never accuse my parents of and say, you know, they didn't really believe, they didn't really believe this. I can look back and be like, my, my parents really believed this. And they thought this was the best thing for my life. And that life was appealing to me when I looked at it. And so parents, Restoration Church, we need to refuse to be second-generation parents. We got to start the ball again. and be, We're going to be first-generation parents again. We're new believers. We are new children of God. We are going to be first-generation Christians again. And raise up, pass on the faith by teaching our children to preach the gospel to themselves, but also teaching them to live a radically obedient lifestyle. And in that, we will see the kingdom of God march along from generation to generation to generation, not just to our children, but our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, whatever generations come after us, who will look radically different than we are, but will still hold and cling to the same person and the same faith that we do today. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much that you are a God that's not just for the bathhouses in Rome, not just for the monasteries in the dark ages, not just for the Baptists in, in the United States, but, and not just for the Presbyterians in South Korea. You are also for the church, the small church plants in Canada, that your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. God, give us as parents, as all of us adults are parents to our children here. Give us a vision that's greater than our own life. Give our children a vision that's greater than their own life to continue to pass on and see the kingdom of God march forward. God, I pray as a father that you, you, would, you would forgive me for the ways I've already failed. You would lead me on a better path. That you, your word would speak through Nikki and myself and the rest of the parents here as we continue to teach our kids. God, I pray for the children of our church. I pray that they would preach the gospel to themselves. We are not always going to be here for them. that they would strengthen themselves in the Lord as David did. I pray that they would live a radical, obedient life. That this life that's 
within the boundaries that you have given us would be appealing, would be intriguing, would be what they desire because they see that in the adults of this church. God, I pray that I would be parents to the Igos children, the Hoopers children, Julie's children, whatever other children come through our doors, that I would be like a father to them as you've been a father to me. God, we love you. We pray for all these things in your name. Amen.